You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. You hear my voice every single week. Thank you for listening so much. I know that so many of you are dedicated listeners, and I really, really do appreciate it. Um, This is going to be the last couple of episodes of the Optimal Performance Podcast. There's just a few more left here, Um, but fear not because I have already started another podcast. So pause it right now and go to Performance Plus. Find me on iTunes at Performance Plus. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to keep rolling. Uh, I'll spare you the details. It's all good. Um, Things change and move and modify. And uh, I'm excited to do my own. And I don't want to miss a single beat. I don't want to miss a week. I don't want to um, dip. I want to keep doing these because I know that a lot of people really get a ton out of it. So the show goes on. Um, if you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. Um, email me, Sean at seanmccormick.com. Uh, I'll be setting up the performance plus email and all that stuff soon, but I already have some really great guests booked for performance plus, and, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to make you a huge deal about it other than telling you now, announcing it to you. I'm also going to tell you in the middle of the episode, um, just so that everybody hears it. And uh, I'm really stoked. On, t- On today's episode, we're joined by Dell Bigtree, who is the founder of the Informed Consent Action Network. He was a TV producer on the show, The Doctors. He's also a returning guest to the Optimal Performance Podcast. And this episode is about COVID-19. Now, Trigger warning, even though I, I don't know if I believe in those. This is uh, goes against the grain of what we're being told. And um, this, there is not a more reliable source for uh, investigative journalism when it comes to medical issues quite like Dell Bigtree. Um, he just sued successfully the CDC on another topic, which we talk about in this episode. Um And what we talk about on this episode is that uh, we talk a lot about the vaccine development process and how the the vaccine that's being rushed to production for the coronavirus is um, will will have what's called original antigenic sin, in which vaccines only attack a portion of the protein of the virus, but allows for other viruses to come in, which actually makes you more susceptible. Um, So we also talk about sort of the implications for our uh, liberties and our freedoms that may happen as a result of this and how the world is now forever changed. Uh, We talk about um, the fact that we, uh, the the science and the data around this, Um, his team, Dell and his team at the Informed Consent Action Network really dive deep into the numbers. And um, uh, we talk about some controversial stuff. We look at the numbers. We look at the fatality rates. Uh, we do compare it to the flu. Even the, And I talk about how people get upset when we com- compare it to the flu. But this is a very timely, very important conversation that I think in retrospect, in the future, we will look back and say, okay, now we, we, we have a clear picture of what this is and what it does. Um, I don't have all the answers I never claimed to, but I, I do want to provide a platform 
on a podcast where people can actually talk about this stuff. So if you uh, if you don't agree with it, you don't have to listen. You shouldn't agree with it. You should do your own research and you should be interested and you should stay home. You should stay you should stay home. That's the safe thing to do. Uh, and in the meantime, how do we get how do we pull out of this? Uh, what does the science say? How many people are dying? So this podcast is dedicated to a a more broad look at uh, at the situation, a more um, a more a more balanced approach to to the science around this. So, uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Del Bigtree. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. Bill Bigtree, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Sean, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I want to go, I want to start right where I think it can be the most impactful. What do we know about the science? How reliable is the science that we're reading from headline to headline? You're talking specifically about coronavirus right now and and what that science is? Yeah. Um, Well, so that's something that, you know, I... uh, I take very seriously. I mean, just quickly for those that don't know who I am, I, I was a producer on a medical talk show for CBS called The Doctors. I won an Emmy Award doing that for six years. So we learned to study the science and look, read medical journals and turn that into television. And so I also brought over now for my show, The High Wire, I have two producers that have come over with me from that same CBS talk show. So we dive through the science the way you, I was taught to when you're going to do decent reporting and news. And, and when you do that, you know, there's obviously what we're, what we're all grappling with and, and what we keep hearing is the denominator, right? It really comes down to we don't know what the denominator in this situation is, and that's causing a lot of problems, meaning we know the amount of, you know, deaths that are occurring. We know the amount of people that have been tested, but we also know that the testing group is so incredibly tiny that we cannot really determine what the actual death rate is. And I think that that's really the discussion that's going on around the world. Here in America, you know, our testing got off to a really shaky, terrible start. Um, it's only now coming online. And, it, and so they've used that, I, I think, in some ways as an excuse to keep moving forward with the most drastic uh, perspective perspective we can just in case we're just running on a straight worst case scenario uh, uh, through line right now. And there's only so long we can keep that up. Right. I mean, we're about to destroy our economy over it. There's a lot that's that's hanging the balance. And I'm getting a little bit frustrated when I hear, you know, um, uh, Dr. Deborah uh, Bricks saying, you know, that we don't have the we don't know the data yet. I mean, that's it's a little bit scary when the heads of state are saying they still don't have data. And we're, you know, really a couple months into this. But here's what we do know. What we do know are the death rates. But we're hearing it's very infectious. This is what we're hearing. Many men, most scientists are saying it's even more infectious than the flu. So I think that gives you at least some parameters. But let's just look at death. We know that there's only about 3,122 deaths, last I checked, 3,130 in Wuhan. Now imagine if there was new Wuhan. If there was never an outbreak there, none of us would be here. 
so you you got to make you know put some relevance behind Wuhan and say okay what happened there you know out of 58 million people 3122 people died and then when it spread to the rest of China 1. Point something billion I don't have the number off but gigantic you know from 58 million to over a billion population they only had like 100 more people die throughout the entire you know nation so through all of China, we have about 3,200 deaths. That is like the smallest death rate we've ever seen from a virus. Um, and so that's troubling. When we start talking about shutting down our economies over a death rate that I think is like, what, 0.00054 or something like that, if you look at 3,000 deaths out of 58 million in Wuhan. So really, really insignificant death rate there. And so now it's sweeping. We're going through drastic measures in America. I'm not against that, by the way. I want to be sure that, you know, I'm not against our government wanting to protect us, right? If there is a deadly Ebola outbreak or something like that that's sweeping the world, of course, we want to be able to bat down the hatches. And this has been, you know, a nice test run to see if we would be capable of doing that. There's a chance we've probably already failed that, but at least, you know, we've made an attempt. But we should be able to recalibrate the second that it just starts not being feasible or reasonable. And so now when we're looking at Italy, right now all eyes are on Italy. We're hearing about this massive death rate in Italy, specifically Lombardy, Italy. But when you start looking at those numbers, even Italy is admitting that 99% of the people that died in Italy had another comorbid issue. They were deathly ill from, for other reasons. We also know that Italy has a death rate yearly of somewhere, I think it's in right around 600,000 people, UK about the same. I mean, we have an acceptable death rate. We just never talked about it before. This is sort of, it's like focusing on something that's always been there in many ways and making a big deal out of it. I mean, to, to try, and, and here's the other number that I think is actually really significant. As of today, we've had, you know, 17,000 something die from, you know, under 18,000, let's say, just to be as broad as possible and whenever this is going to air and someone's watching it. Under 18,000 people have died worldwide from COVID-19 since December, right? So we've had a long stretch. We're halfway through the year on this. 17,000 deaths worldwide. Did you know that the flu deaths in America is between 12,000 and 61,000 every year? 61,000 people can die in America from the flu, and we have never batted an eye. We have never paid attention. We've gone on business as usual. Right now, the death rate of the entire world is at the bottom scale for our flu death acceptability rate in America. I think that that should say a lot. And we're, we're, we're you know, let me go out on a limb here and say we've been at this long enough to really be watching it to say this really does not appear to be a very deadly disease. It's highly infectious, but so are colds and flus, and a lot of people are going to get it. Some people say, they know some scientists saying everyone's going to get this thing, but very few of us are going to die. And so is that worth, you know, putting the entire nation um, in, in America on welfare, destroying the livelihood of so many workers? I used to be a waiter. I was a waiter for a very long time. You're living hand to mouth. You have no insurance. These people are really in harm's way. You shut down a restaurant in two weeks, you know, they need unemployment. And if that's not coming and flowing, I mean, we are about to cause real havoc throughout and put real people in danger. And I think when Trump's saying, you know, the cure should not be more deadly or dangerous 
than the illness. I think that that's a, it's a really honest statement, and it's, and it's some math we should all be doing. Yeah, that, that is such an excellent uh, recap of kind of where we are and, and how to think about this because it is, it is fairly against the grain to be talking the way that you are talking. And, but when you take a deep breath, look at the data that's available – Look at Wuhan, who's now leveled off, right? Like that, that province has now at a, at a point where it's, it's stable, it's plateaued. And you look at the comparable death rates. It's like, at what point, how far down the road do we have to go before we really take a look at this and say, okay, what are we really looking at? How serious and how deadly is this really? And and yeah. I know, just like you do, lots of very smart, very thoughtful people that have lost their noggin on this thing and get mad about the comparisons between the flu and COVID-19. I wonder what comes next and to think more broadly and to think, okay, uh, what are the next most pragmatic steps to – to be to, to to basically like stave off a, a, a global catastrophe. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm concerned that we never get back to the world we had seven days ago or a week, you know, or, you know, two weeks ago. Um, I think, you know, why why end social distancing? There could be an argument made, you know, this is the modern world. We never know when the next virus is going to come. So none of us should ever be within six feet of each other ever again. You know, movie theaters will have to be five times as big in order to make revenue because each seat will be six feet from the other one. I mean, we really are in a dangerous space here because what brings us back together? I mean, what what would have to be told to us that it's safe to go back? Coronavirus doesn't disappear just because some quarantine is over. You know, and flu, now that we're looking at it, there's going to be a lot more people really freaked out about the flu. Because when I say 60,000 deaths, it's incredible. I do hear you get shamed for comparing this to the flu. Yet, why? If you're going to try and put shame upon me, explain to me how this is different than the flu. Like, show me a single stat that doesn't make the flu look more dangerous to me. I, I haven't seen one, and I've looked everywhere. Believe me, I've looked everywhere, and I'm open to it. Maybe there's a mutation. Maybe there's something happening. But you're going to have to show it to me. You can't just, like, fear the, this mythological illness that's just not panning out. But how do we get back to where we live? You know, first of all, I think you have to recognize if this was an overstep, we have to make that statement. Because if we don't say that, then we're stuck with social distancing from now on. Because I guarantee you, if we get through this event, they're already setting up for the return of coronavirus in the next season. Next year, it's coming again. And just then, we might have a vaccine that we're going to force you to take. And we're going to force you to keep distance from each other. Because let's, let's, let's be really honest here. This is only one virus amongst billions. Billions. This is the part of this conversation that when, you know, I had a friend really get angry with me. He's in Europe in the, in the middle of this thing just cannot see how I see it. And I get it. We, we're going to have to agree to disagree, except, you know, he wants anyone with my perspective to die of coronavirus. But here's the thing. They're going to come up with a vaccine for it at some point. It's a very, very dangerous vaccine. They're admitting they're not going to do any of the safety pro 
appropriate safety testing if they're going to give four months to the first 45 people that get a trial and then 10,000 people will get maybe a six-month trial. That means there'll be no looking at your long-term health outcomes. They won't know if this thing causes cancer. They'll have no way to say that it doesn't cause future autoimmune disease, which is the number one complaints and illnesses that pay out in court from getting vaccinations that messes up your immune system. Because by the way, it's messing with your immune system. That's what it does. But you're gonna get one vaccine for coronavirus, right? This version of it. It will probably mutate in such a way that the vaccine won't even work for that. Just like we have the same problem with flu, right? Flu mutates and changes so much every year that it's this guessing game and people just keep getting vaccinated for it. But here's the point. If we are this afraid of virus and bacteria and next year is gonna be the one, I mean, this is how they're, they're training us to think now. I mean, the odds that Bill Gates, you know, six months ago or, or less was saying, we gotta be careful of the one, we gotta run models because the one could be coming as though it's like the earthquake when you live in California, the big one's coming. I mean, it may not come for 50 million more years, they don't know, but everyone has this thought like it's, it's, it could happen any second. Well, if this isn't the one, then what are the odds the one comes next year or the next year after that? See, if we take on this mindset, then we have to live in a constant state of somewhat of social distancing and being careful because honestly, my perspective is this, the world is being run by hypochondriacs now. I mean, if you think about it, you can go and watch the movie about Howard Hughes uh, that Leonardo DiCaprio was in. And we talk about this billionaire who, you know, had to grab doorknobs with, with, with handkerchiefs and, you know, had masks when he walked around trying to breathe. And we said, God, that poor guy had all the world, had, could have done anything he wanted, but he was oppressed by his own fear of the environment he lived in. Well, now that is like the mindset and philosophy of our health departments running the world. I, you know, we're, we will never see a plane again that doesn't have people wearing masks. You will have people that are uptight inside of six feet from here on out. And our health departments have done that to us. They've turned us into what used to be called a, called a mental illness, hypochondria. Now we are all terrified and we're going to, I don't know how you shake it. I, I think for those people like me, I never bought into it. I didn't, I've, I've been watching it. I'm, I'm, I accept what's going on out there. And you know, I would, if, if I'm being forced to you know, be socially distant, I'll do my part here you know, to see how this pans up, up until a point. But at a certain point, I'm also gonna say, show me the numbers. But I think, Sean, to put it simply, we're at danger of never returning. And it's gonna take, you know, real concerted effort for us to get past the fear, turn off the television, by the way, because that's what's doing it. You have to remember that television is funded by pharma. There's no two ways about it. Every one of your news anchors that are dragging you through this emotional experience 24 hours a day, they make their money keeping you in a dramatic, fearful state so you tune in again. And who's, who, who's funding it? All of those ads for pharma that are happening, commercials making you buy your next drug or dream about this future vaccine. That television is promoting this fear. And you've got to think about how am I going to raise my kids? Are you really going to raise your kids in a world where they don't hug anymore. I mean, I remember they put out a mandate. Our teachers told my 11-year-old child, elbow touching only, no hugs, no high fives. Girls are tapping toes in, in, in the kindergarten. Is that really a future for humanity? Are we gonna become that cold because we're gonna live in a constant state of fear? Remember, the health departments, it's it always is that sort of statement, right? For, for a hammer, every problem is a nail. And for healthcare professionals, you know, every problem is a pandemic. 
And we've got to find some balance in here. And we've got to get back to reason, especially when it proves out, which it looks like it's going to, that this whole thing was not even as dangerous as the flu. Even, and maybe if it's just as dangerous as the flu, fine. We've put up with that for millennia. My concern is that at some point we're going to need a negative test in order to walk out of our own front door of our house. And, um, and that level, I mean, at that point, it's, 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 it's so Orwellian, it's so futuristic dystopian that, that there has to be some way out of this. And, you know, like you and I mentioned before we hit the record button, um, you know, President Trump said uh, on the day that we were recording this, like, we need to get back to commerce. We need to get back to business. People need, need to get back to work. And I, it's interesting because the response to that, based on what I've seen, has been sort of mixed. Some people have been like, oh, well, he's now disagreeing with doctors. That's a problem. But other people are saying, no, he's got a point. Like, he, we, we, what, what, is the, what is the actual harm of the response? Does the harm of the response outweigh the actual harm of the virus? Well, I think it's close. I, I think that right now... Uh... I, you know, for what it's worth, I think that Donald Trump and the administration are doing a fairly decent job in how they're handling this. They, you know, they listened. At first, it looked like he pushed back. And then he accepted, OK, we're going into a 15-day program to just sort of let's, let's try and slow things down. Remember, what we really are worried about, I think, what's really the concern, and, and this, I think, is a genuine concern. There's something about this illness and probably all the fear around it that people that would normally just stay away from a hospital and weather at home, now they think they might die, they might have coronavirus. So you are having this flood towards the hospitals, right? The hospitals are getting hit in a way they haven't been before. And, and that's not even a problem, except for those people that maybe do need a respirator. And the, you know, to not have enough respirators and enough beds could be a problem. So I think this 15 days has given those hospitals enough time to ramp up, hopefully. We've, we've made a lot more respirators. A lot of different great companies around uh, this country have ramped up production. You know, companies that don't even make them said, well, we can retrofit and do it. So we're supplying them because that's really all we have to worry about. It's just that first hit, right? Uh, most of those people in respirators, by the way, come through and they do just fine. I think the concern is that that push, not as much about death, but can we handle, you know, the serious cases if they all happen at once? It's a genuine uh, concern. But when you talk about, you know, losing, you know, the idea that you could be tested to leave your home, you know, yeah, that is an impingement on, on our freedom on some level. But I'll tell you what, I'd be willing to accept that, actually. That doesn't scare me as much as I can't leave my home until I get the vaccine for COVID-19. Um, to me, that is the end of my rights. Because, look, if I'm, you know, if I had the illness, first of all, if someone came by my house right now and tested the whole family and said, by the way, you don't realize it because you obviously aren't sick, but you all are asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19. Man, you'd see more high fives going around in my house than you could possibly imagine. Because what that means is in the next 12 to 14 days, when we all get through this, we don't need a vaccine. We are your warriors for herd immunity now in this country. You know, they should give you a little badge and we can all go out and now live on with the rest of our lives and never worry about it again. That will never be true about someone that gets a vaccine, by the way. There's not a single vaccine that's ever provided lifelong immunity. And so, and I think there would be a benefit to going door to door and doing tests. Because if we actually tested door to door, we would get the actual death rate on this thing. We would actually find out that right now in America, I mean, who knows? We could have 
Over a million people have this illness because the symptoms are so incredibly mild for such a large percentage of the people that there's a chance it's sweeping the nation and, and would make our death rate even smaller. So I get your point. I mean, the idea that you can't walk out your door without not having someone from the CDC there is terrifying, and I'm sort of taking it out of context, but I'm not worried about the testing. The testing is very important. I'm worried about injecting products into perfectly healthy people that have side effects. And I think that that's where this conversation, when we're watching right now, because we have a drug, chloroquine, that, that has been very successfully tested in China. You have some of the top doctors in the world even in New York said, we've already been using it. We're having tremendous success with it. Yet all of a sudden, Tony Fauci and those that say, well, we don't know what the side effects are. What do you mean you don't know what the side effects are? We've been using this for over 20 years for malaria, and we know what the side effects are in the tens of thousands, hundreds, millions. I don't know how many have had it. So what are you talking about? It's just interesting that they're really concerned about the potential side effects of that, but they are rushing and saying what we're really looking forward to is a vaccine. And I've done shows on, about the vaccine on, on uh, coronavirus. It's the most difficult vaccine that they have ever worked on. As, as far as we can tell, it has been deadly. And this is something that nobody knows. In the animal trials, remember, after, and I'm, I'm, I kind of do this to you, Sean. I, I go off on these tangents, and I, I hope you don't mind. But This is what you're here for. Okay, but you know, when we look at a vaccine for, for coronavirus, people need to know that after the last SARS uh, epidemic, we were, you know, there was a giant ramp up to make a vaccine. SARS was a coronavirus also. So we ramped up and, you know, multiple drug companies saw the benefit to having a vaccine for SARS in the future. And so they attempted it. And there's multiple trials you can read about. And something interesting happened in every one of the trials the animals did fine right after getting the vaccine. The vaccine didn't hurt their health at all, at least as far as you could tell in the animal trials. But something you can do in an animal trial that you can't do in a human trial is then you can take the animals and you can spray SARS coronavirus. You can put them, you can atomize it and put them, do a challenge study where they actually come in contact with the illness. Well, when those animals that had been vaccinated seemed perfectly healthy, when they came in contact with the illness, their body actually overreacted to it, and many of them died, hemorrhage, cytokine storms. It was really awful. It was horrific to watch, and they had this problem in all of the animal trials, so much so that at the end of them, after doing many of them, they put out a warning saying we should be very careful about moving into human trials on a coronavirus vaccine. There's something called immune enhancement that is taking place. And, and what it means is, for some reason, the body is taking in and you know more of the illness and overreacting to it. Even though it was supposed to protect, it does the opposite. And you know this isn't just my languaging, by the way. Someone that is, is most often on the complete opposite side of, of this discussion, Dr. Paul Offit, who he's written about me in books. You know, we don't consider ourselves close by any stretch of the imagination, he came out and said, this is a very dangerous vaccine. We should not be rushing this vaccine. And so did Dr. Peter Hotez, who is, is an outspoken advocate for vaccinations. So you have people even inside the community that are terrified about the idea of rushing this vaccine, because think about it. Coronavirus will sweep through. Even the Spanish flu, it killed millions and millions and millions of people, but we're still here. But imagine a forced vaccination program for the world, which the WHO is dreaming about. They're writing about it now. 
We know the European Union has a, 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 has a plan to force vaccinate every adult by 2022. We were supposed to be doing it in America by 2020. I thought we were going to be behind schedule on that until this coronavirus you know, thing popped up. Maybe that's all going to help promote the idea that we're going to vaccinate adults. But imagine a mandated vaccine program that you can't get out of, that the funding is so gigantic, we just literally gave billions of dollars to anyone that could come up with a vaccine. So who's going to say they don't have a vaccine? So you're not necessarily getting the smartest people. You're getting the fastest bidder stepping forward. And they are already telling you that they're doing studies that will have no placebo groups. They will not be looking at safety for longer than four months in the 45 people. And that's it. So those 45 people, we'll never see them go out in the world. We won't see what happens when they come in contact with the coronavirus. Or maybe it's not just, maybe they're fine with this coronavirus. But once the coronavirus mutates, we see that thing that happened with animals. You can't believe how little scientists and immunologists and virologists actually know about how a vaccine works. They'll say, they scratch their heads over this, this, auto, this immune enhancement problem they're having. They're saying, we don't know why it happens. And so... Imagine you give the entire planet, which we're moving to, we're talking about global immunity now is, is what they're going to try and promote after this. If we all got a vaccine, that we were perfectly healthy, everyone in the safety trial was fine, but then we didn't realize that a year from now, once there was a mutation, once anyone came in contact with a, 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 a coronavirus or a cold virus, that it killed them. That's possible. That is scientifically possible. And so that's why I think it's really, really scary when you have scientific bodies like the CDC using the word rush, science, vaccines together. That's terrifying. And, and people ask me, you know, I get asked by news reporters, tonight I'm going to be interviewed too. What is the Informed Consent Action Network? That's my nonprofit. What is your view on a vaccine for coronavirus? And I say this, I think the idea of creating a, a, a vaccine that can protect humanity from a coronavirus is a noble idea. And I think it's a noble endeavor. But at ICANN, our concern is in the use of the word rush when it comes to making one. And what we know is we have not tested any of the 16 vaccines we give our kids against an inert placebo. And in the use of those vaccines, we've seen the greatest decline in public health, especially when we look at the rise in autoimmune and neurological disorders from 12.8% in the 1980s when we got 11 vaccines to 54% of our children have a chronic permanent illness their entire lives now. I think a lot of that can be attributed to vaccines. There's science that backs that up. So under those circumstances, we don't believe in rushing. I think that you can work on a vaccine and you better have an inert placebo group. And that placebo group has got to last long enough and be large enough that we can detect whether it causes autoimmune disease like multiple sclerosis or diabetes. Did you know that diabetes is listed as uh, type one diabetes, by the way, as a side effect to some of the vaccines we give? We won't know that if we don't do a three year safety study with a real placebo group. So that's the problem. My problem is a vaccine coming to my door that I've done all of my studying on and I can see you never did a safety study, which is why I don't give any of the vaccines currently to my kids. I know for a fact there's never been an actual safety study. The gold standard for safety is a double-blind inert placebo study. It's what Fauci is calling for right now in the study of chloroquine, which has already been used for 20 years. So if it's good enough for chloroquine, it's good enough for vaccines. Get to it, and then let's talk. Um, I think the Paul Offit and Peter Hotez sort of 
change in tune is fascinating to me because I, I mean, I've been following your work and I, you know, the, the Hotez appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast, I think would just, was, it just, it blew my mind. Just the, the, just the, the, just the, the contradictions and the, the conversation was just so ridiculous. Um, I'm fascinated by their change in tune and it must it must be serious if those two guys are changing the way that they think about this and how they approach this thing because now it is it, it can't be swept under the rug now it, it, it cannot be hidden it cannot be baked into um, a vaccine that you get in, in your newborn baby this is going to be grown-ass lumberjack sort of yeah. dudes in montana yeah. that are saying you're not sticking me with that, buddy. They're going to stand up and it's going to be a major problem if 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 it is rushed, if it is brought to market quickly and everyone's required to do it because I I, I think I think you're right. I think the, the the writing is on the wall there. It's it's coming. Yeah. And like you said, plenty of 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 three-letter organizations have stated plainly like this is the plan. Yeah. Everybody needs vaccines. It's it, it, it's it's really fascinating to me because they, they're not going to be able to hide and those those two guys and the work they've done and how they where they they're going to want to be able to point back to the fact that they said hey we need to be careful about this thing um, because it's, I think it's going to be much more disruptive. well and I think it's I think it's really self preservation in a way I think that they both you have to remember both of them have made vaccines Paul Offit uh, made the rotavirus vaccine he's well aware of what it takes to make a vaccine. Hotez, that's what he does for a living, is, is creates vaccines for, you know, novel illnesses all throughout the third world. Um, but I think that I imagine they recognize that this is a dangerous play because no one has ever had to make a vaccine under the watchful eye of the public. You know, a lot of the work I've done is to try and bring some eyes onto things that no one had ever seen before. Most people don't know you can't sue the pharmaceutical industry for a vaccine that it's totally indemnified for all liability. Most people never knew for sure that it had never been tested against a placebo, and now we've proved that. You know, you know, we've won lawsuits against National Institute of Health, Health and Human Services, FDA, and then just uh, two weeks ago, we won one against the CDC. But what Paul Offit and Hotez know is we're now going to watch those 45 people, right? We're going to watch this trial take place in a phase one trial. We've never watched a phase one trial before. That's usually secret data you can't get your hands on. That's why we want to be able to sue so we can see phase one. Phase one is where the people died and that got swept under the rug. Phase one is where the crazy things happen that we never hear about. How are they going to sweep it under the rug and sanitize the problems that happen in phase one when we're all watching these people like a group of astronauts that are heading to Mars for the first time carrying the flag of America with them? I mean, we should respect these people that are risking their lives the way they are, because it is, believe me, they are risking their lives. This is no joke. This vaccine is no joke. But I think Hotez and Offit can imagine that if people really watch how dirty a vaccine can be, and God forbid if some of these people die in this trial, it's going to make people start looking closer at all the vaccines. Wait a minute, what happened in the other trials? You mean people can die from these things? And that's what Hotez and Offit do not want happening. And I think they see that their life's work of promoting a vaccine program could actually be undermined by this product that the WHO and Gates and these people 
are using to try and launch us into a forced vaccination program around the world. I think their word is going to backfire on them. And believe me, you and I, we are going to be like hawks all through that trial. I want names. I want to know these 45 people. I want to be able to follow them for the next few years. Let's see how they really do. That decide how we move forward. I'm going to interrupt real quick, just really quickly. Reminder, if you haven't subscribed already to Performance Plus, please go pause this, go follow and subscribe to Performance Plus. It's going to be the same great content week after week with the same aim to provide you with the best possible resources, the best possible information, products, ways of thinking, and tools to help you live the best possible life. Uh, we're just going to, I'm just going to keep rolling. I love doing this. I love learning and I love sharing this information with you guys. So please go follow performance plus and we will keep the train a moving. Also, if you have not checked out stopmethod.com yet, I put together a little video to help you deal with negative emotions. This is a neuro-linguistic programming technique that I have used with clients of mine and for myself to help me get rid of negative emotions. We are all stressed out right now. There is so much uncertainty and there will continue to be as things readjust after this COVID shenanigans. Uh, it's scary. Um, for the record, I don't know what this is. I don't know where it's going, but I think conversations like these are really important to have. And tools are also really important to have for dealing with these negative mindsets, these negative emotions that keep us from being our best. So go to stopmethod.com and subscribe to Performance Plus, the podcast, and back to the show. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of curious around the alternatives because I, the, 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 the chatter uh, on social media is sort of ringing through my head because I try to think about what sort of the average person who sort of trusts the government and trusts in science and trusts in medicine, um, they're, they're thinking, okay, well then if, if not a vaccine, then what's the plan? Uh, and we know, right, in England that they're they're going they're going with the natural herd immunity approach, right? Like they're uh, can well. You speak I to mean, that? it actually looks like they're they're backing off of that. They started there. I mean, they, they started there. I think two days ago. Now they're moving into so strong social distancing and um, um, home, you know, quarantine or whatever the word is they they want to use. Uh, They started there, but the Netherlands is going for herd immunity. Israel uh, believes in herd immunity. And I think essentially Donald Trump, whether he uses that language or not, may be moving in that direction. And all that means is, you know, they stole herd immunity to try and talk about vaccines. But vaccines have never been able to create herd immunity because they just wear off. It's just a simple problem with the product. But when you got the measles, you had lifelong immunity. When you get coronavirus there's a good chance you'll have lifelong immunity. So think about it. Your body is designed to live on this planet. You are designed to be here. You have an amazing, amazing machine. This is a Ferrari right here. It is a Ferrari built to deal with viruses and bacteria. Someone may tell you you need some STP gasoline treatment in there. Trust me, your Ferrari doesn't need it, okay? Your Ferrari just wants to run hot. And so it's designed to take in these viruses. And the moment, and look what they're saying. 80 to 90% of you will not even falter. You won't even feel it. You're going to be asymptomatic carriers. And you went along, didn't feel anything, but now you have a lifelong immunity. And by the way, you have immunity to the entire 
you know, the entire makeup of this virus, not just a part of it. A vaccine only targets the part they think is the most important. It's always a guessing game, but that's what the problem is. So if it mutates at all or changes, or you see something that just doesn't represent that part of it, a lot of times you get even more infected and have bigger problems. One of the issues we we have with the pertussis vaccine is making people more sick and turning everyone into an asymptomatic carrier, totally different story, but we know this happens. Whereas when you get natural immunity, you will be not only immune to coronavirus 19, you'll probably be good chance you'll be immune to coronavirus 20, 21, 22, 33, because your body is immaculate and brilliant at how it handles illness. Vaccine has never been able to achieve that. It may get lucky and be able to get COVID-19 and COVID-19 alone, but the aluminum adjuvant or whatever poisons and toxic chemicals in there, those are going to wrap around your brain. They're going to get stuck in your kidney. It might cause diabetes. You might end up having an autoimmune disease or you could die in the future. I mean, all of these are side effects of that. Now, people, I'm sure sitting there saying there's a side effect to coronavirus too. There is. All things have risk. But when it comes to nature, I think you really run in a dangerous, dangerous place to mess with nature. A lot of what we're seeing now my friend that was screaming at me on the phone uh, just last week about how deadly coronavirus is, I said, you know, I hear your fear. I hear it, and I, I feel for you. But I want you to know that I'm not afraid. I don't have any of your fear because I've never given a vaccine to my child. I make sure that they eat organic food and get as little pesticides as possible. We drink, you know, uh, fully filtered water or bottled water. I do everything I can, and that's really what I believe all I can do because I didn't buy into this idea that vaccinating for 18 viruses and bacteria amongst the billion that are out there provided any safety whatsoever. I said to my friend, you are terrified right now because you had a false sense of safety that somehow the 17 vaccines your kids got were going to protect you for life. And now, just like nature does, a brand new one has appeared. And now they're going to try and make a vaccine for that. And you're screaming at me, but I don't have anything to do with that. If you're, you know, if someone in your family ends up dying of COVID-19, that will be really terrible. But it won't have anything to do with whether or not I vaccinated my child. And by the way, you know, now, and you'll get that 18th vaccine, and now you feel safe that you have 18 illnesses that, you know, 18 pathogens out of billions out there. I mean, that's a ridiculous sense of safety. And, and that's where the pharmaceutical, I mean, think that's how crazy the idea is, right? The pharmaceutical industry is trying to convince you and every doctor that makes money off of this and all their textbooks told us this is the future. They will not be done with this process until they have a vaccine for billions of illnesses. How many vaccines can they fit in there? I mean, start, okay, they'll pack 50 at a time. But do you see how insane that concept really is? I mean, maybe I just live in my own world now and, and I just don't see it the same. But that seems like actually completely and totally crazy. It seems to me, if we were being really logical here and we could put all of the passion aside for a second and say, do you really think being protected for 18 pathogens amongst billions actually has any safety net to it whatsoever? I mean, I'm not exaggerating. That's what we're up against. And so, well, no. Okay, so then how about this? Maybe the best thing to do is to, to stimulate your immune system. Let your immune system be challenged by these viruses so it has to fight and get stronger. 
Our immune system is just like our muscles. I don't care how many things you watch on TV, how many things vibrate your belly. If you don't do sit-ups, you are never going to get a six-pack. If you don't feel pain and stress those muscles and actually tear that muscle fiber so that it has to fill in and, and, and create those muscles you're looking for, you don't get muscle. And you don't get an immune system if it's not challenged and forced to fight and strengthen itself and push illnesses back out. That's how we're designed. This isn't crazy religious stuff. You know, I could argue divine design and God created us perfectly, but let's just stick with evolution. Evolution would say that what I am saying is true. There, from the moment we stepped on this planet, tens of thousands of years or more, that we didn't have doctors, we survived. Because some of us died, but others figured out a way to fight that virus. And our bodies ended up becoming a concert in a dance with viruses and bacteria all over every single one that exists on this planet. In fact, billions of them are in our own stomachs right now, are crawling on our skin as we speak. Only crazy people would make us afraid of something that is on us and throughout us every day of our lives. Only crazy people would think that fixing one of those amongst billions will somehow make us a healthier people. And only crazy people would ignore the fact that when you started doing that, we started having autoimmune disease like we have never seen before. And yes, I'm speaking to you out there whose child has asthma and no one in your family ever had asthma. Your child has diabetes, but no one in your family ever had diabetes. Your child has a learning disability, has a neurological disorder, has autism, has ADD, ADHD. I mean, sure, I had a hard time sitting still in class, but when you see some of these kids, it's a totally different deal. Where is that coming from? What happened? Maybe it was when we started messing with 18 of the billions of viruses and bacteria that, by the way, make up more of you than you do yourself. We are bags of sacks of viruses and bacteria. I'm gonna go ahead and stick with the idea that my body has learned to live in this. And I have got to keep all of that bacteria and viral in balance with itself. And then I'm going to be the healthiest person. Call me crazy, but so far I haven't been vaccinated my entire life and it's working great. My kids aren't vaccinated and every chiropractor family, everywhere you go where people don't have vaccinated kids, go ahead and look at those kids' test scores. Go ahead and look at them on any you know, uh, athletic field in the country. It's, it, it's really shocking to think that the best and brightest may be under attack by hypochondriacs. Yeah. The, the thing that troubles me to, to, the, to the earlier point of boosting your immunity, that's one thing that, that you don't hear talked about. That, that, that's one thing that it's taking YouTubers and podcasters to advocate for, um, 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 naturopaths and integrative medicine to say, okay, right. guys, so listen, you want to protect yourself. You want to boost your immunity so that if you do get it, and some people are saying, you're going to get it. You're probably going to get it. You're living in in the suburban area, uh, north of Seattle or west of Texas. You're probably going to experience it in some way at some point. So how do you boost your immune system? What are some natural ways that you can boost your immune system? Clean water, uh, uh, foods that are not covered in glyphosate, 
uh, vitamin D, getting outside, moving, climbing, sleeping, and that stuff isn't talked about. And I think that's the real, that's the really, really concerning part of this is that is that we now have a culture that just wants to be coddled and taken care of and given a, given a cheap answer, given a quick fix, rather than empowering people to do what they can do. Sure, you know, take oregano oil and vitamin C. Uh, you know, like um, use, you know, uh, a humidifier in your bedroom when you sleep. Like do, do these things first to give yourself the best opportunity to fight whatever comes in. I want to go back to I want to go back to the to the flu connection. Uh, I thought I read somewhere about a 2015 study that said that um, that th- if you got the flu shot, it somehow made you more at risk for deleterious effects of exposure to the novel coronavirus. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, uh, this is a military study done. It's a pretty large, well-powered study too. And what they found was. Uh, people in the military that got the flu shot had higher uh, elevated rates of, um, of coronavirus when it came and complications from coronavirus. Uh, it's, it's something they call viral interference. And again, this is one of the negatives to a vaccine versus naturally getting the illness. They found that people who had not gotten the flu vaccine, their bodies reacted more naturally, recognized coronavirus, created antibodies and beat it off better, but that the people that had had the flu shot, it somehow created an interference where it was, it's, it's sort of like, I mean, I, I think the way to describe it would be, it's like your body is only looking for one enemy. And so it lets everything else by, right? It sees flu as the enemy. It's trained itself. I'm looking for flu. I'm, oh, coronavirus, go on in, go on in. I'm looking for flu. And that's the problem. Uh, that doesn't happen when your body naturally gets this disease because there's multiple functions. They're not just an antibody creation. You also have uh, your cellular immunity kicks in. That's the part of this. They call it a T1 and a T2 response. We've never achieved the T1 response with vaccines. They're attempting to now, and that's a whole other story. But, but up until now, we've only created antibodies. So it's something, it's also referred to, these are kind of in the same families, not exactly, but we talk a lot about original antigenic sin. Uh, this is a known scientific term that you create an antigenic sin, which is if you take a vaccine, like I said, you only see parts of the protein. We can't make a vaccine that has the entire whole cell and the whole thing in it because it has its own problems and and it could replicate and be alive. So we kill it. We try and show the body a part of it. But then the problem is that's all the body recognizes as the flu or, you know, as pertussis is this, this, these few fragments of, of the proteins or, or whatever they're looking at. Sometimes it's, you know, the, uh, the poisons, the toxins put out by, but I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. But what happens is our bodies, then it's called original antigenic sin because if it comes in contact with a virus that doesn't present the same way as the vaccine, then it doesn't recognize it. And it lets it right in the body, just like I said. It's a real problem. Let's talk about pertussis because I think it's, you know, it's not the conversation today, but we know more about that vaccine now than just about anything else because there's real science that's been done on all sides. And here's what they know. that and So for the people that think pertussis, whooping cough, if you're not aware of like the, the technical name, whooping cough, uh, it's the DTaP vaccine your kids are getting, which is diphtheria, tetanus, acellular pertussis, or as adults, we get Tdap, tetanus, 
diphtheria and acellular pertussis, the same vaccine, just a little bit different setup. Here's what we now know, that the pertussis, and this is real science, baboon studies, studies by the CDC, they know this, okay? They know this is the problem. The vaccine does not stop transmission. This is huge. It's fairly new knowledge starting in 2017 where they really locked in that this was the case. The same problem, when you give, uh, you know, when they gave baboons the vaccine, they, you know, they fought it off, they got antibodies, they said, oh, they're good to go. Then when they did the challenge study and they gave them pertussis, they got pertussis all over again. It colonized in their lungs, in, in fact, even more than the unvaccinated baboon that got pertussis. They both colonized. The only thing with the baboon is it didn't have the cough. The only thing the vaccine did was take away the, the symptom, the signal that the baboon was sick. And then when they took that baboon, when it had gotten over it, and then put it into a, into a cage with an unvaccinated baboon, it gave it, it gave it, it transmitted the disease to that unvaccinated baboon. Uh, these are real studies, really very important studies, and it's what we're seeing. We're seeing pertussis outbreaks in fully vaccinated schools and communities for this very reason. What they've discovered is the vaccine is turning everyone, or at least a large body of people, into asymptomatic carriers meaning their body doesn't fight the illness, it just carries it without them knowing it. Um, and so that's problematic. It's one of the issues with COVID-19 right now. How many people are carrying it and spreading it that don't even know they have it? Well, the vaccine actually causes this problem. There's an even bigger problem though. Now they've discovered that because the, the, the vaccine, because it has an original antigenic sin uh, component to it, um, that we are now, we now know that if you give a pertussis vaccine, DTAP to your children, they are going to contract pertussis more times throughout their lives. And there's no way to stop that infection and that cycle because the vaccine didn't work right. It made the body unaware of pertussis. And so now your kids are going to be catching it every time they come in contact with it. Whereas someone that didn't get the vaccine, they'll get it once, they'll have a nasty cough, and then for a good part of life, many of them, their entire lives, they will be totally immune. They'll be the only ones totally immune. The vaccine is a real problem. This is a lawsuit. These are, this is a set of lawsuits we're working on with my nonprofit based on this. How are you using a vaccine that doesn't stop transmission and actually makes our children sick more often through their lives, carriers of pertussis? This should be polled. And again, CDC won't poll it. And they know everything I just told you. Hmm, man. Whew. Yeah, that's all news to me. I I, I, yeah. I pride myself in being pretty up to date on this stuff, and I had not, I did not know that. I mean, I was familiar with the with the ability to be asymptomatic and to pass it on once you're given the vaccine. But man, oh man. Yeah. Um. Before before I I ask the last couple of questions, um, I I would love to hear a little bit about uh the ICANN suit against the CDC based on the Freedom of Information Act. That is a that is th that. <laughs> Uh, it's so logical, you know. You, I think about this. I think about this a lot. For guys like you, it, who it's you're just following logic and what's written and what the numbers say, and you're coming to a conclusion. It's pretty logical. It's pretty straightforward. There's no magic in it. There's no wishing. There's no shenanigans. It's just you're just following this this logic. Yeah. You're asking straightforward questions, and you're getting these answers that they can't answer. It must be. It must be. 
You're a very patient man, Del Big Tree, and, and I my hat goes off to you because what you're doing is is fairly thankless. And and uh, and so I digress. Um, please tell please tell the listeners about yeah. about the suit that you guys won against the CDC. It's um, really incredible. And, and up to clarify, it is not you, Del Big Tree, did not win a suit against the CDC. It is a nonprofit organization yeah. that you direct, right? Yeah. Yeah, so my nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network, I started it uh, after making the documentary Vaxxed about the whistleblower William Thompson at the CDC. And one of the things, I just wanted to sort of give a background, because when I made that documentary, I knew I was going to destroy my, my career in television because I was going against the big funders of television. But the truth was so obvious, and I got to look through the 10,000 documents provided by the whistleblower I was confident that the movie we were making had, you know, real issues and these were real questions that had to be asked. And so I, I couldn't turn away. But the problem was on the road, you know, if you've seen, if you haven't seen Vax, you really need to see it. I mean, you can listen to what other people's opinions are of something, but you really should see it because it's more than just a vaccine story. It's a government cover up story. This makes the tobacco cover up look like a, a nursery game. Um, but the problem was, we started traveling the country with that film. We had a bus that said vaxxed on the side of it. And we had thousands of parents signing the names of their children that had died or were, were injured, you know, maimed by vaccines or maybe even themselves. And all these parents were telling their stories. But what was shocking to me was I kept hearing, you know, the film was about the MMR vaccines, very specifically about one study that happened between 2000, 2004, that Dr. William Thompson, who was the lead epidemiologist on the study, said, we doctored the numbers, essentially. We cooked the books because we saw a correlation between the MMR vaccine and autism, and we couldn't let the people see that. So they spent years manufacturing and, and manipulating, committing scientific fraud, I think is the, is the cleanest way to put it. And But when I was traveling the country, more parents were saying to me, you know, I loved your film, Dell. It was really powerful. My kid never got to the, D to the MMR vaccine. We lost our child after DTaP. Our child regressed into autism after DTaP, which is given in the first six months of life multiple times. And I heard that story so many times that I could honestly tell you, this isn't any sort of you know, double blind study, but just being out in the public, more people claim that DTaP caused their child's autism than the MMR, and my film was about the MMR. That bothered me. Didn't, bother, didn't make me think I was wrong. I think there's multiple reasons why children can get sick from different things. But it made me think I didn't know the whole story. And that's why I started a nonprofit. I wanted to start investigating all of the 16 vaccines we give our kids. And so we've won several lawsuits. I won't get into depth. One against NIH, one against Health and Human Services, one against the FDA. And the recent one is the CDC. The CDC is the biggest one. And it's one, and you're right, it took patience because it's one I have wanted to be involved in since the moment I started this nonprofit. And the question was really simple. First of all, all of our lawsuits against these health agencies start with a FOIA request. We in America have the ability to use Freedom of Information Act requests. Our government works for us. And so if they have discussions, we're allowed to see, I wanna see your emails, I wanna see what those discussions were at the CDC about a topic that interests me. And so we put forward a Freedom of Information Act request to the CDC. And it essentially asked this, since autism is now being diagnosed at about six months old or older, we've gotten pretty good at it, they can diagnose it now at six months old. 
And, you know, the majority of parents of autistic children still point to vaccines as being the reason they, you know, their child, who they say was perfectly healthy, regressed in autism. Now, I know there's people out there that struggle to even listen to this because they've heard so many times that this has been debunked, right? It's been debunked. Why are you still on this? I get that. But see, I need proof of that. I don't just take experts' word for it. Experts lie. I'm sorry. They do. It's human nature. Or they embellish. So here was our request. Since the vaccines given in the first six months of life, to me, would be the most obvious culprits, and the DTaP vaccine being the one I heard about the most while traveling the entire nation, thousands of parents said, my child got autism from the DTaP. We asked for this. We asked the CDC to provide all of the studies they relied upon to determine that DTaP vaccine does not cause autism, that the Hib vaccine does not cause autism. All the studies they used to rely on to say that the, um, the, the polio vaccine does not cause autism. Prevnar does not cause autism. It ended up being about six different vaccines that we give in multiple doses for the first six months of life. We said just we want those studies. We, ought, we asked for this in June of last year, and they wouldn't respond. They're supposed to respond in 30 days. They didn't respond. Then a few months later, we sent a backup letter. So we're still really waiting for that request. We'd really like to see the studies that you applied upon. Remember, CDC's website right at the top of the vaccine thing says vaccines don't cause autism. They are emphatic about this. They don't say the MMR vaccine doesn't. They don't single one out. They say all vaccines don't cause autism. So I want to see the studies that prove that for the first six vaccines in the first six months of life given in about, I think, 15 to 20 doses. So we finally got no answer, and by December, we got fed up and we sued. We took them to court and said, look, you're not allowed to dodge this question. It's really kind of throwing up red flags that you would even avoid answering this. I would think there's a file somewhere the CDC says, here's all the information on how we say the number one accusation against our product, when we say it doesn't do it, here's our stack of studies. It should have been easy. But it clearly wasn't. And so finally in court, when a judge got involved, they said, okay, we will provide you with a list of those studies. They said, great, that's all we're asking for. So they gave us 20 studies, 20 studies from around the world that dealt with the question of do vaccines cause autism and supposedly were specific to the six vaccines we were asking about. And so we said, great. Thank you for the list. We'll, we'll read those studies now. That's all we were asking for. And so we dismissed the case. We said we got what we were looking for. A lot of people said, you dismissed it that you didn't win. It's just like any other suit. Someone hits your car, you want you know $1,000 to fix it. If you take them to court, they say, fine, in the middle of the courtroom, fine, I'll give them the $1,000. You don't need to waste the court's time anymore. You just got what you wanted. We got all of the studies the CDC relied upon to say that vaccines don't cause autism. I know I kind of drag these things out, but I want to be so clear because people slip through the cracks on me all the time. We read all of the studies, and here's what I can tell you. One study was about the MMR vaccine and the MMR alone. We threw that one out. That one made no sense because I didn't ask about the MMR. I asked about DTaP, Hib, uh, uh, the Hep B vaccine, uh, polio, and Prevnar. And so we threw that one out. Now, the next, you know, I think it was about five studies were MMR and thimerosal studies. Thimerosal is in a mercury-containing 
um, um, disinfectant that's in vaccines. It's not in any of the vaccines I asked about. So I don't care about MMR and thimerosal. It has no basis on the six vaccines we asked about. Then there's about 15 vaccine studies that were only on thimerosal. Again, a mercury-containing ingredient that is in none of the vaccines I asked about, so we throw those out. And what we were left with was two studies. One that looked at the antigens in vaccines, saying it doesn't look like they compared basically kids that got all of their vaccines, plus, you know, that had high antigens, meaning the amount of viral or bacterial load, and all their vaccines with a lower uh, bacterial load. We've reduced the amount of the viral load or bacterial load in vaccines, specifically with the DTAP, the one I'm talking about. DTAP has, you know, I think, it, I want to say it's like 10 or less um, antigens, and, and the old DTP has 3,000 antigens. So really, this study looked at kids that got the entire vaccine schedule but got a DTAP, and then those that got the entire schedule and a DTP vaccine, and it found that both had the same amounts of autism, okay? Now, the study at the end of it says, this study does not prove, it basically says vaccines could cause autism. This study only shows that getting more or less antigens made no difference. This would be like me doing a study on the water content in vaccines and saying water's in all that vaccines. So we looked at the vaccines that had less water and compared them to those that had more water. And look, there was autism in both groups, but because it was the same, we were going to say water and vaccines don't cause autism. So it's a useless study. We throw that one out. It didn't actually address the totality of the vaccines. And then there was one other one. What was that one? Antigen. And then I talked about the DTAP, right? I have people on the other end. Oh, the IOM review, thank you, from, from, the peanut, from the peanut gallery. The other study, the only other thing that might have had some relevance was not actually a study. It was the Institute of Medicine that the CDC hires. That's our Nobel laureates. They're an independent private brain trust we call the Institute of Medicine. And we sometimes task them with a question. And they were asked, can you look around the world and look at all the studies that have been done to see if DTAP vaccine, the one I was asking about, causes autism or doesn't cause autism. And the IOM came back and replied, and this is what they provided to us. In their reply, they said, we can neither determine that it does or does not cause autism because the evidence is insufficient. Basically, they looked around the world and no one had ever done a study that showed that DTAP doesn't cause autism. There was one study that had been done that actually showed that DTAP does cause autism, but the IOM threw that one out saying that they didn't really think it was the best science that could be done. So here, the only piece of evidence that the CDC gave us that might be able to weigh in on the actual question we asked made our point. The Institute of Medicine says, oh, actually, there are no studies that have ever been done on this planet, even though it's the number one vaccine most blamed for autism now around the world, the CDC, the WHO, HHS, Pfizer, whoever, no one has ever done a study to see if it causes autism. And so there you have it. We requested for science for six vaccines. They gave us 20 totally irrelevant studies. To try and put this in perspective, because I, I get attacked and I know we want to defend this product so bad. I mean, I get it. We were all told it saved the world. So that's why I get into trouble. But if I ask this, let me give something that you can relate to. 
because people said, well, big, the MMR study proves that DTaP doesn't cause autism. I'm like, how is that the case? It's a totally different product. This would be like me going to the CDC and saying, we would like all the studies the CDC relied upon to show that Oxycontin is safe and non-habit forming. And they fight you for like a year, and then you take them to court, and they finally said, fine, here's 15 studies that we used to tell the world that Oxycontin was safe and non-habit forming. Okay, I have six studies here that were about Tylenol. I didn't ask about Tylenol. I asked about Oxycontin, I throw that out. There's four studies here about aspirin. I didn't ask about aspirin. I asked about Oxycontin, I throw that out. And then there's a remaining, you know, whatever, five or six here that are all about ibuprofen or, or, or Advil. And so I didn't ask about Advil, I asked about Oxycontin and you throw those out and you got nothing. That's what happened. They handed us totally irrelevant studies and could not hand us studies to make the point that they state about the six most important vaccines during your child's brain development. That's a huge, huge discovery. It's a huge problem. And I'm never going to let them off the hook for it. We're demanding that they take that website down that says vaccines don't cause autism or do the science to prove it. But you can't be stuck in the middle. It's tough to argue with that, Dell. Any, any sane, logical adult or child can follow along with that logic and hear that story and then go, Whoa, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that is a staggering, staggering course of events. The fact that there isn't a hundred studies or a thousand studies. We hear mountains. We hear there's mountains of studies. I asked them and, and, and people say they didn't give you all the studies. That's not on me. The CDC gave me what they thought was their best defense. Remember, they are the top of the line. I got all these crack quackpots out there that are like armchair scientists, but I went to the top. I, I mean, and you're right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not creating uh, uh, some labyrinth. That's what they gave me, 20 studies. Not my fault. That's what they did, and now they're short. And now we're going to use that in courtrooms around the world. I believe somebody's already bringing it into a courtroom as we speak because it's really, really sound evidence. So I would, I would love to, I would love to, to take, to pivot a little bit. Uh, and, and ask a question that maybe you've thought about, maybe you haven't, but given the fact that we are now facing, you know, once, uh, every three generation, four generations predicament with the novel coronavirus and COVID-19, um, just disrupting the planet. I mean, canceling the, the friggin' like UEFA hey. champions league. Olympics, like be canceled, you know. NBA, like, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, it's I've never I've never would have thought that that would happen for for really. I couldn't I couldn't conceive of a of a of a reason. Yeah. Um. Uh, it what if any is there a bright side, a way to look at this, something something to think about where the, that maybe this is an opportunity for us to make major change, maybe that this is an opportunity for us to know ourselves, maybe pollution goes down, maybe, maybe people um, become more aware of their own personal autonomy and sovereignty and health and wellness, like... Um, tell me, tell me a good bedtime story, Dell, because uh, I, I would love to be able to to 
to have a conversation that has some that has some optimism to it going forward because I think that's what's that's what's required. I if this goes the direction it looks like it's going to go, and we find out that this thing wasn't nearly as deadly as it had been promised, nowhere near any space where we should have disrupted lives that we had. I hope people get angry. I do think there's a time and a place for, you know, for constructive anger. It's time to get angry that the pharmaceutical industry, which has been the most powerful lobby in Washington for years now, it's been outspending oil and gas. And I've been warning everybody, the WHO is funded by pharma. All of these entities have an agenda to make you into a human pincushion and a human ATM. This has never been about, I've been warning people for years, these removal of exemptions in America and things like that, this never been about the children. Pharma's not outspending oil and gas where we fight wars in the Middle East for them. They're doubling the amount of money that gas and oil are putting in. They want something bigger than 2% of unvaccinated kids to be vaccinated. They want you. They want 340 million Americans and they want the billions around the world and they're on the verge of getting it. And I said, they're going to make a play to try and get the whole deal for all of us to sign up. Now, whether or not, you know, I think it may be possible to have a deadly virus, but when you're looking through the eyes that all you want to achieve is to get everybody being injected on a constant basis with your products, it's skewing their vision. It's getting in the way of them to actually be rational, practical thinkers. And that's what we're watching. We're watching this mindset so obsessed with injecting everything on this planet that it may have it may be demanding. When I watched the news last night, as it looks like Donald Trump may be moving to move us out of this, you know, almost every news agency that I've already told you is controlled by pharma is literally rebuking him. It's like a game of chicken. If you don't destroy this economy, then you're a murderer. I mean, it's the craziest two sets of choices any world leader has ever had to face. And what I hope is that I hope, by the way, that we move through this and very few people die. I think every person matters. I don't want to be cold about this, but I want to be rational because we accept death on a daily basis. Thousands and thousands of people are dying right now as we speak in America, and that's just naturally what happens. you know. And so we've got to keep this in perspective. And I hope that people get angry enough. And, and I think some of that anger will be at themselves that they put so much trust in the fact that Tony Fauci was supposed to be an expert. Deborah Brooks, you know, was supposed to, or Burks, however you say it, is supposed to be an expert, and yet they were dead wrong if that ends up being the case. Because that's what I have found in the last four years of my investigation, is that these people are not only wrong sometimes, they appear to be wrong almost a majority of the time. And I think it's because they, there's too many players now in our health, you know, in our regulatory agencies that came from the industry we're supposed to be protected from. You know, my friends that and family, I grew up a progressive liberal, just so everyone knows. I'm going through a real dark night of the soul here as I grapple with being politically marooned. But, you know, a lot of the people I know will say, you know, Donald Trump is dangerous. He's going to blow up all the regulatory agencies. And I say to them, you know what? I hope he does. I hope he does. Not because I, I believe more than anybody we should have regulatory agencies, but when the CDC is being run by people that worked at Merck or Pfizer or Sanofi Aventis, 
the very industries that make billions of dollars off of us, then I don't think they're going to protect us from their products the way they should. When the FDA is being run by lawyers and people who once worked for Monsanto and, and defended glyphosate and pesticides, then I don't think the FDA is doing what it should do. And when the EPA is being run by BP and Exxon and people that made billions selling oil and gas and still go out to drinks every night with everybody that is spilling oil into our ocean, then I don't think the EPA is looking out for us. So I think in these moments that as catastrophic as they may be, we do need to wake up. We do need to sort of blow these things up, at least the illusion that they're smarter than us or that they have our self-interest in mind. That idea must be destroyed for us to move forward as a healthy society because these regulatory agencies have been commandeered by the very industries we are supposed to be protected from. Instead, they protect those industries from us. And that is a massive, massive problem. And the awakening to that is what I pray is what comes out of this whole COVID-19 thing. That we start saying, you know what? I'm not that stupid. Don't let the television tell you you're stupid. You don't need to have real intelligence to understand some of the math and the graphs. If you want to run a model, you can run a model. You can say how infectious is the flu, for instance. And ask yourself, if coronavirus is more infectious than flu, then if I use a flu model, then I'm using a very conservative number, meaning it will probably infect less people. Take that number, which is 20% of people usually get the flu every year. Take 20% of the Americans in, you know, 340 million people, 20% of us get the flu. I think I have that written somewhere here. What does that end up being? It's like 11, is that, no. That ends up being 65,400,000 people get the flu every year. Now take our death rate against that or run the death rate we know in China, which ends up being about 0.0026%. And you'll find that we may be on track to have maybe 17,000 deaths if it's really infectious. If it's more infectious than the flu, then we'll even have a lower death rate. So these types of things, I think it's time to wake up. You're smart enough to do the math, Stop signing your life away to doctors as though they are somehow smarter than you. Stop signing your life away to the head of the CDC or the FDA. Usually they were a golfing buddy with the president or someone like that and have very little knowledge. If they do have knowledge, it comes from the fact that they made billions of dollars out of this industry. I mean, I hate to be skeptical, but that's where we're at. And you're watching it happen with your own eyes. It's time to wake up because if you don't, if we don't wake up, there are people in high-ranking positions in your health department that are actually saying they think they should quarantine you until we have a vaccine, meaning you shouldn't be allowed to work for the next 18 months while we rush an untested product that will then let you out of your house with not enough testing to find out if it has some original antigenic sin that could kill you. That's their idea of how to deal with this when 90% of us appear to have no symptoms at all. That defies reason, at least the reason I was raised with. And it certainly defies the reason that was, was pumping through the veins of our founding fathers that thought that you would be free to walk and do what you want as long as you don't go out and kill other people. I don't believe illness is that deadly, certainly not this one. And when we recognize how little data collection was used, how many assumptions were made, 
And to, you know, to say in some ways, as scary as it may be for people out there, that Donald Trump was the smartest person when it came down to it, because that may prove to be the case. Now, does that make him the smartest person in the world, or is that just put perspective on how intelligent our health departments were? So if at the end of the next week or so, our president looks at it and he's looking at the same graphs I am and seeing no real uptake in mortality anywhere in the world, especially in the hotbeds where coronavirus was, I hope we will all join him and celebrate the idea that we get to go back to work and thrive as the powerful nation we have always been. Not a bunch of ninnies afraid of a dangerous cold, but people who charge forward through icy cold rivers, dying of pneumonia to fight for freedom. That's what it means to be an American. So let's step up against this virus and say no. We will not destroy this beautiful country. And I hope every nation around the world follows us as we boldly step forward knowing that our bodies are brilliant machines. This Ferrari is not going to be held back by a little virus. Some very sick people right now will have a problem. But the healthy among us should be the ones that stay healthy and move forward to protect all of us to herd immunity. I believe that this is all happening for a reason. It is our wake-up call. Hopefully, I pray, there are enough critical thinking minds and intelligent people out there that when we do wake up, it matters.